Welcome to Seed of the Wawa Tree. The seed from a Wawa tree represents strength and resiliency. Our voices and stories are powerful, and they help to strengthen others. I hope you're healthy and doing great on this cold winter day. It's time to tell my story. The reason why I made this podcast. But first, a trigger warning. What I'm about to share contains emotional, sexual violence, and spiritual abuse. This began as a narrative with the support of Into Account, an amazing advocacy group, IntoAccount.org. Find them. Reach out if you need support. Donate if you can. The work they do is amazing and important. I put their... um, um, email and everything web address down in the description so check them out I'm not broken I'm ruined do you understand the difference with broken maybe you can fix things ruined all you can do is wait to bury me J.R. Ward I remember the first time I was ever touched without my consent I was about five and there was a little boy who kept putting his hand down my shirt I was confused and uncomfortable and I didn't like what he was doing and I told him to stop But I never told anyone else. To say my home wasn't very happy would be an understatement. I was largely ignored by my parents in the early years of my life while they battled with each other. I tried my best to stay small, to be quiet, to be well behaved, to not draw attention to myself. And I think to myself all the time, if only my mother would listen, then my dad wouldn't look so scary. I think to myself, Mama, I'm not making any noise. I'm not being disagreeable. Be like me. That was the beginning when I... I guess when I started to learn my place in the world as a woman, a young girl growing up to be a woman. My father was an alcoholic and he was abused as a child. My mother was a woman trying to raise children while battling mental illness. They both were in pain. Two people in pain with ghosts from their past. That past became our present and we became the ghosts around the house, my sisters and I. My parents were born in the silent generation, which meant children were to be seen and not heard. And that's basically what we were. We were well-behaved, polite children that weren't heard. I grew up in the Church of Christ. 
and I had didn't have any friends. It was hard to have friends at church. I was a minority, and the white kids wouldn't talk to me. So I learned to be quiet, just like at home. And not only were we minorities, we were poor. My parents, they were judged a lot. It was their fault we ran out of food or because my dad had a back injury while working for a church of Christ and couldn't work. They really made my dad feel bad about himself as a man because he wasn't able to be the provider they expected him to be. A man that doesn't provide for his children is worse than a sinner. I know that quote so well. He eventually stopped going to church. My dad still works today. Even at 77, he refuses to retire. Their judgment really left scars. In the Church of Christ, a lot of things were frowned upon. Premarital sex was a big one. The things I learned in church didn't prepare me for life outside of the church. Their message was sex is wrong, don't do it if you aren't married. My plan was to be married, have kids, and have a wonderful life. And I know that is so naive. But that's how I was raised and what I expected as a good Christian girl. I was also born with a chronic illness, neutropenia. When I was born, the doctor gave me a day to live. When I was still there the next day, he said I had a resilient spirit and that I was a fighter. I fought, but I was very ill at times. And that resulted in me having a teacher come to the house. I didn't have a lot of exposure to children my age until after I graduated high school. I didn't get my heart broken by a crush or the bad boy in school and learn what to avoid. Learning things as an adult has bigger repercussions and consequences, and it made me even more vulnerable. I didn't know what abuse was, except it had to do with something about hitting you physically. I didn't know that someone you loved saying cruel things was abusive. I never thought about domestic violence. That's not something I learned at church or at home. I was a 23-year-old virgin when I met my ex. Well, I really would like to say I was a virgin, but I don't know. And I know you guys are probably thinking, she doesn't know. What does she mean she doesn't know? Well, I went on a date with a guy named Sean. And my last memory was the drink he gave me. And I don't remember anything else about that night. So I'm pretty sure I was raped. But I never wanted to admit that to anybody. I was alone with him. It was my fault. I didn't consent, though, so I was still a virgin, right? 
When I met my ex, he helped me forget. He was older and more mature. He said all the right things. We got engaged. He met the family. We went to church together. But gradually, the abuse started. He would call me names and then apologize. It was hot and cold all the time. Then he would tell me things like, we both love each other and in God's eyes, we're already married. We don't need paper. And it was true. I did love him. After we had sex, the relationship got very bad. But all I knew was that I couldn't give up on him because being a virgin was what I was told I needed to be by the church, unless I was married. Now that I wasn't a virgin anymore, I didn't know who I was anymore or what that meant about me. Purity, this whole purity culture was attached to my identity. I broke up with him once, and then one day I was sexually assaulted on the street in broad daylight by a man that I thought I could trust. And it turns out he had a history of sexual assault and a rape charge. I went back to my ex. Max made sure that I understood that sex wasn't for me. It was all about him. I was like his Barbie doll, his virgin. He is. Sex was for him. It was a way for me to show that I loved him. And it was also a way to avoid being called names that hurt in his anger. He would tell me when we would have it and how to please him. It was never about me. Sexual contact at that point had never been about me. It was taken and given by force, but it, was, it wasn't about me. The first time I got pregnant was actually because he tampered with the protection. He later told me that he pulled the, the condom off. And I didn't know he had done that. It resulted in a pregnancy, but it was an ectopic one. I still remember the expected due date, October 26, 2014. I was being punished by God, I thought. I woke up after the emergency sur surgery that saved my life, and I felt dead. It was the only, the only thing that made me feel like I was alive was the extreme pain after the surgery. It was a laparoscopic surgery, and I had three small incisions on my stomach. They stitched up my tubes after removing the fetus. And when I got out of recovery, he said he was going to take me to a hotel so I could relax 
it made sense because I was living with my parents at the time. And I also had siblings at the home. At the house. And sometimes they could be loud. So I thought he wanted me to rest and he was going to comfort me. I was in so much pain that I walked from the car, stooped over. I couldn't straighten my body. I It hurt too bad. When we were settled in the hotel, he made me have sex with him. I felt like the pain was my punishment, and I silently weeped until it was over. There I was with no baby, empty inside, physically in pain, and still ruined. I thought I might as well stay with him. I didn't really care about myself after that. But I became pregnant again. And this time, it was a healthy pregnancy. Although he told me when he first found out that I'd just lose it again. I tried to leave him in the early stages of my pregnancy. I went back to church. The church refused to acknowledge my pregnancy. They wouldn't throw me a baby shower. Some avoided looking at me. They didn't want to support sin. I was sin. Because of this, I convinced myself I had to make it work. So I moved in with him. And he was so emotionally abusive that I couldn't eat. And my weight dropped to 90 pounds. I was jumpy. My memory was bad. Before he came home, I'd scan the room to see if anything was out of place. Because if I missed something, he'd never let me forget it. I knew I had to make a choice. I could stay with him and eventually get married, or I could leave and protect the child. I chose my child, still in my womb. I didn't want any child that I loved so much to see me suffering and beat down. I didn't want my child to witness arguments like I did when I was a little girl. I left him and I never came back. My mother loved me and supported me. She was a beautiful human being. The sweetest person. And then she didn't care anything about how I viewed myself as being ruined she supported me after that for six years. Then she was diagnosed with colon cancer. And after taking care of her for a, week, a year, she was gone. I no longer had my best friend. That church that she was so faithful to wouldn't even help me bury her after her life insurance skipped out on us. It was a technicality of some sort. The woman that was so faithful her whole life to the Church of Christ and never failed to drop whatever she had in that collection plate. That's how much the Church of Christ cared about her. They wouldn't bury her. I didn't date much after I left my ex and my mama passed. 
I concentrated on raising my child. And I, and I began again with my dad. A close bond. Something I didn't have as a child. I also sought therapy for my past trauma. And I was diagnosed with PTSD. When I did date... None of the men that I dated treated me badly. Sometimes it just didn't work out, and we usually remained friends afterwards. My psychiatrist was always worried that I'd end up repeating that cycle of abuse with someone else. And I would tell him, no, I'm, I'm never going to date a man like him, like my ex again. I was healing from my past and it was going great until I decided I wanted to meet a Church of Christ man. I grew up attending predominantly white churches and in order to attend these churches I've had to sometimes ignore racism. I grew up hearing white people tell me how clean and well behaved my siblings and I were. I had white people touching my hair or telling me that I was pretty for a black girl. I think after a while, you become used to the casual racism. I think it's why when I heard racist language coming from one of the men I had a relationship with, I wanted to help him work through it. I was in the middle of finishing my education to become a social worker when I met a Church of Christ chaplain named Josh. He had a mutual friend on Facebook and he introduced himself and we had some of the same interests. I thought it was going well. He was in Dallas and I was in Oklahoma. We had a lot of incredible funny conversations and sometimes we'd video chat. It became clear, though, that he was having some personal issues. And because I thought he was a great guy, I offered my support. There was many days I talked to him as he got on a train headed for work. We would have long conversations every day, and I tried to encourage him. Our relationship became a romantic one. He wanted to meet and spend time with me. But I was a little concerned. We were moving too fast, I thought. And I backed out of it at first, especially after a dis disagreement we had. Josh had professed support of Black Lives Matter. I asked him had he ever dated a black woman. He told me that he never thought of black women in that light. He went on further to say that the women he met in Abilene, the black women, were hypersexual and their boyfriends were always incarcerated. We argued about that at one point. I said to myself, this is it. I'm over. I'm over this. I'm out. Then Josh gave me this BS story about me taking it the wrong way and I was overreacting. He had convinced me that everything would be okay and he wanted to spend time with me. So I paid for a hotel for him to stay in that weekend. And he used his frequent flyer miles 
and got on a flight to see me. I met him at the airport, and he was all touchy-feely, flashing the bulge in his pants and wanting to kiss me. It was a little bit much, because I was kind of nervous and shy at the same time. Then we went to get him set up in the hotel. The clerk said that the hotel room that I had gotten wasn't ready yet and we'd have to pay extra for one that was. I was going to leave him there because it was only like 15 minutes until that room that I had booked was ready. But he volunteered to pay extra to get a room already ready. He was eager to go to the hotel room. I was going to go home because it was early in the day and my child would be home from school. The plan was that we would spend time with each other the whole weekend. But when we got into the room, one thing led to another and we had sex. Afterwards, he started crying and said that it wasn't what God wanted for him. Let me tell you guys, if I had wings, I'd have flew out of there. I was mortified, hurt, and confused. He obviously enjoyed himself. What is going on here is what I was thinking. I left the hotel and he flew back to Texas immediately. He said that he couldn't talk to me and needed time. He unfriended me. We eventually began to talk again because I think he felt guilty. It didn't last very long though. Then he was distant. Then he would get angry because I was a nuisance now to him. He had gotten what he wanted from me. Josh had invited me into this secret Church of, group, Church of Christ group called the Faithful Resistant. The Faithful Resistance. It should have been called the performative resistance. This was acting. This was performative anti-racism. And I walked right into their skit. In it were members, all of whom were ACU alumni. Their alleged goal was to fight injustices like racism and to support the marginalized. After I told my story about Josh... A lady that had been com- that had become friends with me in that chat room immediately blocked me. She's a minister now. I'm still friends with Josh. She took his side because I sent him angry texts after he treated me horribly. So I guess. That cancels out everything he did. Text. You see, the thing is about white feminism in in Christianity, it's a lot like the suffragettes movement in the early days. They laughed when Ida B. Wells wanted to march for the right to vote. These women wanted their rights, and as long as they got them, they didn't care about how black women were treated. And anyway, how do you fight racism secretly? 
someone make it make sense. The group is where I was introduced to Mark, a minister from Texas. He messaged me. He said he liked the things I posted in the group. He was my same age, very handsome guy, and a minister. You know, ministers are good guys, right? They have a code that they are supposed to live by. That's what I thought. That's what I was taught. I thought he was safe. And we had so many awesome conversations. Some would last hours over the phone. Eventually, we decided that he would visit me. He booked his Airbnb and told me where it was located, and it was perfect. Stones throw away from my my house at the time. I could hang out with him and then go home and wait for the babysitter and then go back out with him again. But later, he told me that his booking had changed, air quotes. It was now on the west side of the city, and I lived on the east side at the time. First, he said the Airbnb host mentioned poor folks, you know, all the poor folks in that area. Remember, he's a member of a group that allegedly fights against, fights for the marginalized. But he didn't want an Airbnb next to the marginalized. So all of a sudden, that location was canceled. I still thought it could work, though, because I had a babysitter lined up until she canceled. And it's not really her fault. She was pregnant, very largely pregnant. We had early release school days, though, and he planned to meet me on a Friday afternoon. So there was no way I could make it across town, spend time with him, and make it home to be with my child who was getting out of school early. So my younger sister said, you know what, I'll I'll watch her. It's no problem. But I don't get off work until 6. I was so upset at disappointing him. I apologized profusely when he arrived into town. But I was sure that he'd understand. Things happen. Plans can sometimes be messed up. And I I was really sorry. I was really upset about it. And I just thought he would understand that at least we'd have that evening and then the rest of the weekend to hang out. But when I finally met him at his Airbnb, although he didn't mention he was upset, he met me on the sidewalk and he walked ahead of me with his back completely straight and stiff. I knew that tension. I grew up with it. He wasn't interested in going out any longer. He was already drinking. I saw his wine glass as soon as I walked inside as well as his extremely large dog. 
He couldn't leave his dog home alone. But he thought I'd be willing to leave my child by herself. Think about it. He couldn't even find a babysitter for his dog. I asked him again, was he okay? Because when I came in there, I was like, are you okay? I'm sorry. And he said he was fine. He offered me something to drink. But I was so anxious that day and so upset about disappointing him. I took some anxiety medication and I couldn't combine the two. So I declined the drink. And he was upset at that. He wanted me to drink. We eventually had sex. Sex was what I did to appease my ex when he was angry. And after sharing my body with Josh like I did and being rejected many minutes afterwards, I was unsure of myself as a woman. I felt ugly and I needed to feel beautiful again, to feel cared for. And I thought I'd get that mark. But he treated me even worse. The next day, Mark was distant. He was distant. I had the weekend to hang out with him. And he told me he needed to leave. He put me in an Uber and left town. I cried the whole way home while the Uber driver was attempting to make small talk with me. She even saw that I was upset and it made it even worse. That whole walk of shame thing. When he got back to Texas, he confronted me in a message. He said that meeting was tawdry and I wasn't the woman I thought he thought I was because we had sex early in the date. He said I didn't deserve forgiveness when I asked for it or grace and that it was sad he had to explain this to a grown woman. The word tawdry kept playing over and over in my head. It felt like he was calling me a whore. He acted like he hadn't even participated, that he hadn't wanted what, that kind of relationship with me. When he made it clear before we met that he did, he could have easily left if that wasn't what, what he wanted before sex even happened. I don't know about you, but if I'm disappointed or I'm upset or I don't want to talk to this person, I wouldn't sleep with them first. It's like having a free meal at a restaurant and then complaining about the meal after it's gone. Buddy, if I'm tawdry, then you're tacky, okay? At the time, though, I was so upset that I got physically sick. That rant coming from a minister destroyed me a little bit. He was confirming all the thoughts I had about myself in the past. The church's judgment of me and how I felt about myself for having sex without the benefit of marriage. 
I was thankful my sister was watching my child for the weekend because I was distraught. I offered to pay him back for the gas he spent traveling to see me and he wouldn't take it. Josh and Mark both told me beforehand that sex was perfectly fine before marriage, which pretty much goes against their own theology. Sex was what they wanted from the beginning. Both men knew about what I went through in the past. I shared my experiences with them. They expressed dismay and disgust at what I went through, only to treat me the same way later in a short period of time. Mark even suggested taking my child out with us and learning how to swim. So I I didn't think this was a one-time thing. I know that my past experiences with, with emotional and sexual abuse affected how I behaved. I knew that they wanted what they wanted for me, and I wanted to be loved at the time. And wanted to make them happy. Wanted to please them. That's what I did. Afterwards, I wanted to hold on to them. Not because I wanted to make them love me. Although, in the beginning, I honestly cared about them both. It was because I knew that if I dropped any form of friendship or contact, I'd have to accept that they used me. That they treated me the way that they did because they saw me as trash. As unworthy. And I let them treat me that way. I let them use me. And I didn't want to accept that. I needed to try to still be their friend. I thought that trying to forgive and be a friend would redeem me a little. I know that in the Church of Christ community, these men will be supported regardless. Their positions of power and reputations matter more than any pain they've caused me. I know this and they do as well. I'm not a graduate from ACU or Lipscomb or any other Christian school. I'm not a scholar and I'm not well known in Christian circles. To them, I am a tawdry tramp that tried to destroy two men of God by speaking up. They they couldn't have possibly caused any harm to me because they're better than me. That's the message they send to me. But I speak today not for them, but for you. For those of you who are listening and can relate, for the women that feel like they're being, they've been ruined because they had sex before marriage. This is for the minorities in church who feel unheard. Reverend Teresa Pechanovsky, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. If not, I am so sorry. I found her story on Into Account. And she's a beautiful human being and didn't deserve how she was treated. I feel that I must stand with solidarity with Reverend Pechanovsky. Because she was a victim of something similar by Josh's father. I know, right? I know you're thinking. The same Josh you just talked about. The one I just mentioned. Yes. And his father was also Mark's mentor. 
see how that group they all know each other and they're all connected that's why I'm talking about this I'm talking about this today because these actions and other harmful treatment of women are often supported by people in the Church of Christ I'm talking about this because I want people in the Church of Christ to do better ignoring these issues makes you complicit this is very hard to share because even today it still hurts. It took me five times to, to tell my story. I, I had to start and stop. But this is for you guys.